0: Welcome to College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. You can find me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I am joined by Xavier Trish, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, on the Twitter and the owner and proprietor of College Football Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Nick, how was your week four, my friend? Week four, as a
1: whole, could have been better. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it, it was, it did give us the... Probably the most action-packed Saturday that we've had so far this season. Uh, so watching the games was, was a lot of fun uh, in and of itself. The numbers, which we'll dive into a little bit later, uh, sort of underperformed expectations. But uh, as far as uh, entertainment value, it was great. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of great games, some big-time matchups, uh, a lot of fun in week four. And can you believe it? We're already a quarter of the way through
0: Stop. the regular season. It's crazy. Stop. It's no. crazy. Uh, Xavier, please tell me that you are not going to red shirt for the rest of this podcast. Are you gonna oh, stick with yeah. us? No, I'm, I'm here. I'm here to stay. I'm here to stay. No, no redshirting <laughs> this far into the season. If you don't like me right now, I'm sorry. I'm sticking around. Yeah. But uh Dear King, can you believe that? We, like even before I we can't. get to the action, we gotta talk no, about that. No, I can't. Uh, Tulane beats Houston uh, in an amazing comeback game on Thursday. And then, you know, after the week goes, and we'll get to the action, but this news is just so weird and crazy. Not only is he going to redshirt for the rest of this year, we all assumed, okay, transfer portal, where is he going? Is it going to be Oklahoma? Because that would right. make sense because Jalen Hurts is leaving. Is it going to be Texas? Maybe he's moving positions because he wants to go to the NFL, uh, and he's going to play wide out of Texas because Tom Herman recruited him to Houston. He's going to stay in Houston. He's, he's just chilling for a year, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs>
2: hey, think about this. If I'm him, we just lost a two lane. We're one in three. Currently speaking, his draft stock probably hasn't moved a needle. So hey, give yourself a you know the year to work on whatever you know chinks are in your armor at the moment, and get back to next season where hopefully you guys can I don't know start off better than one in three. I mean. I, I mean, I, in, in no way, shape, or form does this look normal for a football player to do it. But in the NBA, this happens a lot. A lot of superstars sit out as soon as te- as soon as they find out their team sucks, um, and they and they blame it on an injury of some sort. Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, decide to sit out and uh, they wait for greener pastures to come next year. So, yeah, but they're, not they're professionals,
0: you know. So it's just weird to me. And Nick, jump in here. It, this is so weird that he would go back with Dana Holgerson. I even heard, uh, I can't remember what show I was watching, I think it was Bomani Jones saying that potentially this was Dana Holgerson's idea. Well, so I, I, I heard something about,
1: I think it was week two or week three, about Mulba Carr, the running back at Houston, who had played in the first game but then sat out, or just, you know, hadn't gotten touches or whatever the, the second or third game. And there were some rumblings that the plan was for him to play no more than four games and uh, then redshirt and come back. Uh, and he is a senior like like King and like uh, who, who's who's Corbin, the other Keith Corbin? Corbin. Uh, so, uh, it, it, you know, when, when King did it, it wasn't the first I had heard of this sort of situation with Houston, but I just figured, um, that maybe, you know, maybe with Carr, it was just, they, they do have three senior running backs and, and so, uh, or four really the first four guys on, on my depth charts are seniors, uh, at the running back position for them. So. I thought maybe that had something to do with it. You know, maybe he, he just had an opportunity to come back and be the guy in 2020. And that made a certain amount of sense. Uh, He did get in the game against Tulane because Kyle Porter got hurt. But uh, so I'm not sure where that stands, but then um, the, the King news was a shock, obviously. I mean, you know, he's, he's uh, one of the most exciting players in the country, put up 50 touchdowns last year before he got hurt. Um, It, it, it came as a as a big big surprise to me and it is somewhat unprecedented i don't know you know i don't know what he's what what is driving this for him i'm I'm not you know i'm not going to put myself in in his shoes necessarily but i do uh i don't necessarily believe that he will be at houston next year maybe he will maybe that's the intention right now who knows if that will actually come to pass not not sure it seems strange uh, on the other hand, if it is a strategic decision by Dana Holgerson to say, hey, you know, we're, we're struggling offensively coming out the gate and, and uh, things will be better. I saw a, a quote of his today that um, I believe it was Reese Davis that said that uh, Holgerson talked up the fact that quarterbacks tend to make their biggest strides in year two in a system. And, of course, King has played already for three head coaches um, and he spent his first year or so as, as a wide receiver at Houston, right? So, so he does need extra time to develop at the position. An extra year would do him good, but as you mentioned, Scott, it, it doesn't necessarily seem that quarterback is his long-term uh, position, partly because he had some success as a receiver. Uh, but, you know, who knows i mean may- maybe uh as we've seen there has been a, a shift to where uh, some of the smaller faster more dynamic quarterbacks are uh getting more of a look at the at the pro level and, and higher uh in uh, draft discussions and and being drafted so yeah, i don't know i mean that's that's a-, a long-winded as i often am way of saying <laughs> i don't know i don't yeah, know yeah <laughs> i mean
0: who does you know it's very it's just so weird and i it, it's part of the four games and you can transfer. I mean, we saw Kelly Bryant do it last year and he's the biggest yeah. name before Derek King, but he was being pushed by Trevor Lawrence and no one is pushing right. and lost, King here.
1: Had officially lost his job. They said that right. Lawrence was going to get the next start. And I right. don't, you know, I, I won't pretend to be the biggest expert on Clayton tune, but I would be surprised if, uh, he had beaten out King at this point.
2: <laughs> can right. I tell you something? Yeah. You no, know? I genuinely feel like more quarterbacks who see maybe next year's class being better than this one. I would not be surprised if this is the last time uh, we see a move like this. Uh, I'm looking at a quarterback right now like Kellen Mond, who they're 2-2. Two and two. Their season's pretty much over as far as SEC aspirations, um, and at least college football playoff aspirations are the case, who if he decided to do it right now, I wouldn't be shocked either. Now, I'm not saying he would. Um, I think, I think he obviously, you know, feels that he can do enough going down a stretch to push this draft stock. But hey, you sit out, you wait to the next year, you're zero and zero again. You have another opportunity to to win on the Prime time stage um, and make a mark and possibly boost your draft stock, you know, having played technically 16 games in your senior year, not, you know, not counting any bowl games, counting the four years you play prior four games you played prior and the 12 games you play as your final senior year. So I mean hey if you haven't used it yet, you can
1: try. Yeah. I, I could be wrong. I think Mond has
2: Redshirted, yeah, exactly. but, but a sim- yeah.
1: just as an example, yeah, I get, I get what you're mm-hmm. saying. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I can't say I never did it in uh, NCAA 14, but... <laughs> uh...
0: <laughs> the risk-reward, though, is, you know, because you put yourself at risk in those four games, and, you know, yeah. a- NFL, it's not as brutal as baseball a- as far as their scouting goes, and, you know, I mean, I remember watching a documentary on Miguel Sano and seeing them do a bone density test on him because they didn't believe he was 16 years old. They're like, he's got to mm-hmm. be 22. And, you mm-hmm. know, they, they have a, a birth certificate for him, but it was at a hospital and it was a book that just, you know, uh, it looks as thick as a tree trunk. So um, and his name was scribbled in there. So it's not really super official or a great document or anything. <laughs> so they gave him a bone density test, and it, it was like he's between 16 and 19. So, you know, the NFL's not going to that extreme, but if you're a couple years older, most of the time you're not going to get drafted. The last time I, I remember a mid 20s guy getting drafted was Brandon Whedon. Yeah, Brandon Whedon for the Cowboys in the back end of the first round because they needed a quarterback. Yeah. So, big like we baby. It's uh, very, very, very strange. But let's get to some of this action that happened. Uh, in week four, uh, the first game that we need to talk about here: USC over Utah, 30 to 23. Um, you know, our guy Keaton Slovis out. I think play two, so in comes Matt Fink in the in the Michael Pittman show. Nick, it was. Oh uh, my God! It was a lot of fun <laughs> to watch.
1: It was, yeah. Michael Pittman uh, been been pretty high on him personally, and it was nice to see him break out. And hey, you know, Matt Fink. It, it's interesting, uh, a guy who earlier in the season. Seemed to be exploring a transfer, decided he wanted to uh, stick around and, and uh, obviously got an opportunity to shine. Doesn't work for everybody that way and, and understand when people need a, a fresh start somewhere. But it, uh, you know, was it was a nice story as well to see him uh, come off the bench and lead his team to a big win. I mean, definitely didn't see that coming. Utah, as we talked about previously, really high on and and uh, he came out and, and 350 yards you know, against what could be the Pac 12s best secondary, and that's pretty impressive.
0: And uh then, you know, just moving up that was the Friday game. And then moving into Saturday, a couple ranked games here. I mean, you know, uh my my Longhorns beat Oklahoma State, so I'm happy about that. Uh the you know, Florida stomp Tennessee. So <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> I mean yeah, we're we're not uh. we're not gonna revel in it, but that happened. Uh, Alabama over Southern Miss, forty nine to seven. California beat Ole Miss on the road, twenty eight twenty. And by the way, uh, Nick, you and I were kind of saying how how the hell do they pick these referees? The away team gets to pick the referees, like from uh. where? So uh. they had the Pac twelve referees, which may have been the smartest decision that they had the entire game because of that weird non-call at the end. But nonetheless, uh, Cal over Ole Miss 28-20. A little bit surprising, right, Xavier? No. No.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No. I mean, if you watch Ole Miss football this year, then no. Uh, Cal beat a Washington team who we all have picked to win the Pac-12. For them to beat a bottom half of the SEC Ole Miss team home, home away or you know on the island of Hawaii it doesn't matter they they Ole Miss is just bad they're just bad so not necessarily
0: (laughs) (laughs) we saw Vandy up over Vandy uh uh, LSU over Vandy 66 to 38 not a surprise there uh Xavier you said you went to that game I was and I and I suffered from some forms of heat exhaustion
2: um for that uh but (laughs) Um, good signs from LSU. They they definitely have the best offense they've had since I was alive. But
0: that, well, they have the best offense they've had defense, since I've, I was alive. So
2: <laughs> that defense, I'd be I, I don't know about you know you know savoring your victories, LSU fans. But boy, that defense at times just looks abysmal. Well, Vandy's got a pretty got a good tackling too.
0: Do they? Yeah. Do they? Yeah. Okay. They thirty-eight point good. I, I don't know if it should have been thirty-eight point good, but I'm not surprised that. You know, there was a break. You just said it was hot, so I'm not surprised there were breakdowns. Of course, you'd think LSU, for all the whining and crying they've been doing, uh, would be used to no air conditioning and uh, rough conditions. But uh, I mean, yes, I they put up more points than you guys did. So I mean, and by you guys, I mean
2: Texas. So right. I, I, don't, know. I, I don't
0: know. I don't know. Well, we didn't let them score sixty-six. Uh, Wisconsin, <laughs> thirty-five. Michigan, fourteen. Nick, uh, ugly game here. Michigan just. Doesn't seem to have it. You know, we thought, uh, you know, we look at the talent, and Michigan has the talent. They recruit well. They can't put an offense together to save their lives with this team. So I got to think that Jim Harbaugh, if he hasn't been on the hot seat before, he absolutely is now, and we may be looking at new khakis come
2: 2020.
0: (laughs) I hope the next guy doesn't wear khakis.
1: Yeah, you know, I – I think more disappointing to me than the offensive struggles, which, uh, you know, obviously even uh, sort of like we've talked in years past with LSU, you, you hope for some change offensively and for that to, uh, you know, spark something and, and, and show some growth. And so that's been disappointing, but more disappointing as I was watching that game was just how much Wisconsin was able to manhandle the Wolverines up front. And I know they were a bit banged up on the defensive line and, and, just quickly going back to LSU, they've had some pretty significant injuries uh, on defense as well. So pot- potentially that contributed. But uh, but for Michigan, uh, they just they they looked uh, smaller than I expected. They looked uh, they were getting pushed around up front, and and uh, you know that Jonathan Taylor missed what a whole quarter and ran for two hundred yards. So we got uh, like
0: eighty of it on a run. <laughs> I mean that's
1: right. <laughs> So, so I, I came away very, very impressed with Wisconsin and uh, pretty disappointed in Michigan as probably most people. I might have been a little slow on sort of uh, accepting, uh, you know, who Wisconsin is and who Michigan is. But I think that game was a pretty, pretty good sign of what we can expect for both teams moving forward. Michigan just didn't look like, you know, they just they didn't have the bodies up front. And uh, Wisconsin was very, very impressive.
0: Yeah, we'll see we'll see how the rest of Michigan season pans out, but it is heading south quickly. Um, Miami of Ohio opened up with a nice five-sip lead over Ohio State. seventy-six to five, Ohio State <laughs> was the final in that game. So that that went away very, very quickly. It was a Justin Field show. He had six touchdowns. Pitt over UCF, Xavier. And not only is did Pitt beat UCF to end their regular season streak, they ended it on the Philly special with all of the gravitas that they didn't have last week against Penn state. Uh, uh Narduzzi was just kind of shove it in people's face here. So 35, 34, they beat UCF in a very surprising victory here. Well, I think
2: what was more surprising about that game was maybe, maybe the ebbs and flows. I mean, Pitt jumps out to a 21 to nothing leader, 21 to three league. And, you know, I'm thinking, well, Pitt's going to just completely stomp all over UCF. This is going to be everybody's dream on on Twitter. They're going to just talk smack about how bad this UCF team is. UCF rallies back, uh, takes the lead. And then it just seemed like Pitt was not going to be able to cross the finish line, kind of like they did against Penn State. Um, you know, they got into the red zone, I think, t- I think once or twice and weren't able to finish it and weren't able to punch it in. Um, and had to settle. And I thought, I was like, well, here we go again. You know, and, and they get down there, and I'm like, okay, there's no way he – he kicks the field goal this time. They don't have enough time. Uh, you know, they they punch it in, and and it makes you wonder if they go and punch it in against Penn State. What are we thinking about with Pitt right now? Uh, you know, it makes you scratch your head as a Pitt fan and just as a college football fan in general. That uh, who knows what their season looks like right now if they were able to punch it in against Penn State and
0: win the last two ball games
2: against ranked opponents. So,
0: man, I mean, it's just unfortunate that that they weren't able to pull out one. Of- Against Penn State because uh, that's a pretty damn good team they have there. So. I love
2: that quarterback. Oh, I love him. He's one of the toughest kids in the country. <laughs> I think. Dude, I love him. I, he he's not like one of the best quarterbacks technically, but I'd I'd have him in a fist fight any day. So
0: I wish we were looking at this game a little bit closer last week, but SMU over TCU, Nick, forty-one thirty-eight. Uh, TCU suffered from horrid quarterback play for the entire first half i mean i believe dugan was one for ten to start this game so uh our guy darius anderson got a ton of work you know uh 161 yards on 19 carries but uh tcu just not being able to put it together on offense and shane Bouchelle really leading the mustangs here and uh looking real good
1: yeah that was uh personally speaking a a bit of a bright spot i mean smu we'll we'll get into some of these numbers a little bit later but we've so far we figured out smu about as well as any other team in the country which uh which has been good we you know all of our uh computer projections have uh have been right about smu so far and uh, they did you know not only covered against TCU but but won the game uh pretty impressive they've they've relied a lot on uh, the transfers that we've talked about a few times so far and and so far they are clicking I mean Bouchelle is looking good that receiving core is looking good they're really deep at receiver or uh, at uh, running back as well so they've got Problems for for every opposing defense, and I I was nervous that TCU was going to be able to uh, you know really shut them down because we saw how well they did against Purdue in, in their previous game. Uh, but it seems SMU just had too many weapons, and and uh, so they weren't able to take anybody away like they did uh, with Rondell Moore. So uh, yeah, it, it was a surprise. I, I didn't expect them to win, but um, you know on, on the bright side, it seems that SMU is is a team that uh, our numbers are are kind of in line with what's going on. So hopefully that continues.
0: Yeah, that was an interesting game. And then we had Auburn beat A&M 28-20. And I believe we picked A&M. You (laughs) picked A&M. I'm never going to pick A&M. So you (laughs) picked A&M. But uh, Kellen Mond had a nice performance here. But Auburn just uh, they kind of shut down that offense fairly well.
1: Yeah, they really limited Texas A&M in the running game. Uh, I believe the Aggies got 56 rushing yards on 21 carries, so under three yards a carry. So, uh, you know, you can allow... 300 passing yards if you completely take away the running game. And uh, that Auburn defensive line so far is as good as advertised. They were able to really control the tempo. And even though Auburn didn't do a whole lot offensively themselves, um, they did get a big play on a reverse to Anthony Schwartz in the uh, opening drive, 56 yards, something like that, to, to score and kind of set the tone for the day. But after that, they were. You know, they put up very modest numbers offensively. They moved the ball a little bit, took advantage of some opportunities, but um, you know, from from a pure offensive standpoint, Auburn wasn't super impressive. But defensively, they're as good as advertised.
2: Absolutely. Um, I mean, it was it was kind of how I expected it to be. Whoever started off the fastest was going to win that ball game because I didn't think, especially if it was Auburn, I felt that that defense is just so good, and they started off fourteen to nothing in the first. Uh, 14 to three in the first half, um, and they kind of just, you know, uh, sat on a And M, and a And M tried to pull it back late, but it was a, li- a little too little too late for them to, uh, you know, score 17 points in the fourth quarter. Just not enough time to put it all together. Uh, so, I mean, congratulations for Auburn four and zero. I mean, that defense is, like you said, as good as advertised. I'm still waiting to see Bo Nix have a game where I can put my hat on him um, going forward and put that, and you know, put more confidence in the Auburn. We'll see. A- lot this week against Mississippi State, and obviously in two weeks against Florida, but so far, so good for the Tigers.
0: Uh, Alright, so we've got Washington over BYU 45-19, Virginia 28-17 over Old Dominion, that was kind of strange, and Oregon 21-6 over Stan- Stanford, and then Clemson spanking Charlotte 52-10. to Any of those games uh, particularly interesting to either one of you?
1: Well... Uh, the Virginia, Virginia started out slow and and that was a little bit, made me a little bit nervous uh, for them looking ahead to this week. They go on the road and play Notre Dame, but perhaps it was a situation where maybe they were looking ahead a little bit, um, you know, or maybe they just, for whatever reason, you come out flat sometimes. And, and uh, Old Dominion, we've seen them give some teams uh, problems, specifically, you know, Uh, Virginia's our tribal Virginia Tech last year so um, it wasn't a complete shock and it was a good sign to see Virginia bounce back in the second half Uh, but uh, surprising for sure because you know so many people have been so high on Virginia and and a lot of people think that they might be the second best team in the ACC and that's not really what you want to see from a team that's potentially going to contend for a division title and and theoretically, a conference title uh, to, to, you know, go to the wire with a team like Old Dominion.
0: Now, moving forward here, there's three last rank games and um, Georgia played Notre Dame real close. I nailed this Colorado game. Colorado over Arizona state, uh, on, uh, CFF on campus on, on fan tracks. I called two weeks ago, ASU beating Michigan state and then coming home and losing to Colorado. It's exactly what happened. So you're welcome. I'm sure everyone was betting based on what I said, of course. Um, and, and then this UCLA Washington state game. Uh, look, I've been complaining about Dorian Thompson Robinson, Uh, In my CFF leagues, I picked up Washington State's defense literally everywhere because (laughs) they're playing the last ranked UCLA, uh, you know, offense that had been terrible. And if you want a live reaction, you can go listen to the In This League (laughs) College Fantasy Football Pod because Nick and I were recording talking about waiver wire free agents. And I'm watching this go on in the background and it's driving me crazy. But I know you guys are the Georgia fans, so you want to talk about that game. So let's talk about Georgia first, uh, up over Notre Dame. And the, the score wasn't very different than uh, what we had projected here. It's a little bit high, a little bit lower, but uh, pretty much right in line here. So, uh, Nick, Georgia over Notre Dame.
1: Yeah, I mean, it It, it was uh, good to see that uh, our numbers did, did pretty well uh, at that game. It was... Um, a bit surprising to see Notre Dame sort of I wouldn't say they controlled the running game. I mean, DeAndre Swift still got 98 yards and uh but but they did limit Georgia offensively in the first half for sure. And and uh it was also good to see uh for Notre Dame Cole Komet, the tight end, come back and and have a good week uh after he suffered a pretty significant injury. During fall camp, it, it looked like he was going to be out six or eight weeks or something like that, and he was able to to bounce back really quick and put up 100 yards. So uh, good sign for them moving forward. Their offense uh, didn't look quite as good as it did in the first two games, but obviously Georgia's one of the most talented defenses in the country, so um, overall, it, it was a fun game. It was exciting. I mean, you you see a, a top ten matchup in a great environment, uh, prime time, national television, all that, and and you like to see uh, it work out to where one team has the football, driving with a chance to to score a game winning touchdown at the end, and and you know whatever happens, you know regardless of, of what a neutral fan is is uh, uh, wanting to see, you know you you. Uh, regardless of how it turns out it, it's exciting so uh, that's what we were treated to uh, last week I'm sure Xavier was uh, sweating it there at the end when Notre Dame was driving but uh, the dogs got uh, got a stop and, and got a win and uh yeah the the biggest profile win arguably of, of the season so far in top 10 matchup so uh, big one no sweat at all no kidding no, <laughs>
2: damn, damn, damn. Definitely was pacing around the room a bit, I, I, I will say. But I think the biggest takeaways, at least for me, in that game was um, if you're a Georgia fan, you should have expected a game plan sort of to what we called that game. Uh, we focused heavily on the run, we kind of kept a leash. And I, and I heard a lot of people say that they unleashed Jake Fromm in this game. Rather, I don't think that that was necessarily the case. I think they had a leash on the receiving core, and they just told Fromm to be a game manager um, until the second half where I think, you know, maybe they saw some things in the coverage. Maybe they just were like, we just need to throw the football more. Uh, with such young receivers, that's what I expected in a top 10 matchup with a with a Notre Dame secondary that's been, you know, highly uh, you know uh, highly documented coming into that game. You don't want to take any chances and, and put yourself in a position where your defense can't help you win the ball game. And um, which they did. Um, as far as for Notre Dame, I think that Ian Book's ability to get out of the pocket and make plays on the run was something that um, helped them out tremendously. I think Komet was amazing, and uh, Claypool is definitely a guy I can see going going in the first. You know, in the first round of the draft, maybe early second round as well. Um, Notre Dame, I don't think is out of it. I think a lot of people have said that they were. I don't think that they're even slightly out of it. Their schedule is still you know, barring some other teams' results going forward, can still has some ranked teams, um, as we'll talk about later in this episode. You know, one of them is Virginia. You know, they still have to play USC as well. Um, hope maybe they're ranked going into that game. So I don't think their season is necessarily over, depending on how much chaos happens in college football. So,
0: so Nick, this UCLA-Washington State game, I don't know if you had <laughs> a chance. I know you go back and rewatch this nonsense. It, it, Gordon threw nine touchdowns and lost. Um... Obviously, I was very upset about it, but I mean, what do we think of the UCLA offense moving forward? Well, uh,
1: it was good to see UCLA break out offensively. I mean, as you mentioned, they were ranked uh, 130th in the country in yards per play after the first three games, and so that that was a very disappointing sign, especially for uh, a Chip Kelly offense that you know we we have expectations of Chip Kelly. He was uh, not that long ago considered, you know, one of the top offensive geniuses in uh, all of football, and and to see them struggle as much as they did in year two, starting out was was definitely disappointing, and and. Dorian Thompson Robinson has shown flashes of his, uh, his talent and his ability that makes you think like, okay, this, this is why this guy was so highly recruited. Uh, he's got a cannon, he can run, he can make plays. Uh, so it was good to see him be able to do that. Um, I think really the, the star of the show for me, uh, was probably Dimitri Felton, who, uh, they they connected on a ninety-four yard touchdown pass. He also had a return touchdown. UCLA also got uh, they got a, a kickoff return for a touchdown and a punt return for a touchdown. So um, you know, Washington State practically unstoppable offensively, but certainly there's still some issues uh on defense and then you know, special. Still teams some as well. issues. It's <laughs> the nicest way I've ever heard of the worst
0: defense I've ever seen in my life. Still some issues. They gave up Fifty second half points. They're terrible. They're the worst ever. God.
1: It uh, it there. There's still some issues that they've got to Losers. work out. <laughs> and, uh, and and I expect that they will. They they Washington State fifty points in the last two quarters aside had shown improvement uh, under defensive coordinator Tracy Clay's last season. Uh, they had performed pretty well this season to to start um so it it was a surprise not only because of ucla's poor performance in its first three games but uh because it did seem washington state had had sort of elevated itself beyond bad 24
0: points (laughs) houston to 24 points that i mean
1: uh, how are they holding
0: on the road they held houston (laughs) to 24 points with Derek King, one of the four games he played. uh, (laughs) And they give up 67 to Dorian Thompson Robinson, who was playing the worst football I've seen a quarterback play. You know, and uh, I mean, I've I've watched a lot of bad quarter. I've watched Josh Rosen in the NFL. You know, uh, I've seen a lot of really bad quarterbacks. I've seen uh, just so many bad ones. And Dorian Thompson Robinson was taking the cake, but... I Maybe I just need to get over it. You know, they cost me probably at least one win this week in CFF, but... Uh, You'll I mean, never pick them up again, will you? No, Z- Xavier, no way you stayed awake to watch this nonsense, did you?
2: Um, I woke up to a lot of text
1: messages,
0: okay. um, a lot of
2: Twitter mentions. So there was like, yo, did you did you stay up for a Because people do know I stay up for, you know, games like this, but I was... I, I did not stay up for this. Uh, I wish I did. <laughs> I, I wish I would have... St-
0: they you know, replayed I, it on ESPN I, I, on Sunday. I first, like
2: I caught the first half, um, and I fell asleep, and I was like, oh, Washington State's got this in the bag. Went to sleep, woke up, they lost. I was like, oh, oh. oh.
1: <laughs> but I we're up forty-nine seventeen. So
0: yeah, it <laughs> was. Uh, I, that's like forty-nine seventeen. I think is when Nick and I started recording. So yeah, if you yeah. want, if you want to hear my live reaction, oh, absolutely. You this is... you, you can go <laughs> listen to that on In This League. I was uh, I was not a happy camper, but. Uh, Let's move on to week five, but before we get to week five, uh, Nick, I know you wanted to take a look at, uh, you know, how everything is moving forward for CFB winning edge through a quarter of the season. So I'll kind of hand the reins to you here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I've, I've briefly mentioned it a, a couple of times earlier about, uh, you know, the numbers I was, I was pleased that the number said this and said that, and, and, if if you've listened before, you know that all the the predictions that I give when during our uh, podcast are related to the CFB winning edge team strength ratings, which are uh, built from individual player ratings, uh, a formula that that we developed a couple of years ago, and and use it as a way to project you know the, the overall team strength for all 130 FBS teams, and as a way to test you know whether or not. Uh, those ratings are on the right track, we compare them to the Las Vegas point spread. Um, And each week, tally it up, see how our uh, final score predictions, which we've you know, We talk about, and we'll talk about a few games later on, uh, how those compare to uh, the point spread as it's posted on the Vegas Insider uh, consensus spread roughly 24 hours before kickoff is usually when I send those out to our patrons. We do that for every FBS versus FBS game. So uh, through the four, first four weeks this season, uh, things have not gone particularly well. Uh, we're we're shooting for fifty three percent against the spread that's sort of the the generally you know recognized if you're hitting fifty three percent you you're doing well and we're we're in a somewhat difficult position because we pick every single game but you know a lot of the uh, college football analytics community who do this sort of thing they pick every game as well so uh, we're we're trying to to do uh something different by going the player route uh but we're still doing the same thing trying to uh see how we stack up against the spread well so far this season we are actually 10 games under 500 our, our record against the spread is 87 97 and 4 based on our quote unquote official final score predictions so that you know 24 hour window roughly um, but it is worth noting that it matters which line you're you're comparing. you know if if you're a better, you know that uh, early in the week when lines are first posted, there's some value in, in some of those uh, opportunities. You might have a chance to jump on a number before it grows out of you know what would be uh, your your projected window. Um, for us, that opening number, which we do release an early, Uh, The the last thing I do before I go to bed on early Sunday morning after UCLA completes a historic comeback is run the uh, projected point spreads for the following week based on our current numbers. So uh, looking at those, if we were to to go off those early, early lines, we're 50-50. 92, 92, and four. So that's that's a good sign. You know, we're we're not using it as an excuse uh, or anything because our official uh, tally is 10 games under 500. But it is good to know that uh, our our projections do uh, show an improvement earlier in the week. So that's something that if our patrons are so inclined, you know, do pay attention to those numbers if if you're interested early in the week. So uh, one thing I've noticed, and and our patrons might have noticed this, uh, our projections have been very, very heavy on uh, underdogs. Uh, So far this year, we have been, we have sided with the underdog 73.4% of the time, which is entirely too high, roughly probably 20% uh, too high, to be honest. So I, I knew as we were going through that there was going to need to be some tweaks. We were, we were, you know, something wasn't quite right in the way we were doing our, our calculations. And I believe that I uh, sort of figured it out. So uh, in our first four weeks, we were not really incorporating much uh, play, Data. So uh, our team performance ratings include a lot of different statistics. Uh, The the, uh, most important in my eyes is net uh, yards per play. So we talk about yards per play on offense, we talk about yards per play that a defense allows. And if you compare those two, uh, I think that shows a pretty good uh, rate of overall team strength. So um, that plays a, a big part in our team performance ratings, but we didn't quite have it weighted high enough, in my opinion. Uh, so I, I went back and looked, had we used the net uh, yards per play just sort of as an ac- extra layer in our team performance ratings, uh, sort of increased the weight a little bit. Add that into our numbers and uh, sort of rerun the first four weeks. How would that compare? And it didn't improve the numbers substantially. Uh, we We only actually picked up one game in the in the overall standings, but it did make a big improvement in a couple of key areas. So our projected point spreads coming into uh, week five have averaged, Roughly five and a half points different than the Las Vegas odds makers, and that's kind of a big number. That's bigger than than we would hope for. We would like to be a little more aligned with uh, the the quote unquote experts, uh, but you know we don't want to necessarily be uh, within one or two points because we are looking for an edge. You know we right. we do want to to show that we are uh, we know something that they don't, and that's sort of why we did the player based model. So um, don't want it to be too small, but we do want it to be a little more uh, closely aligned. And so by by putting this extra play data in there, uh, we were actually able to shave that down to uh, 5.1, or excuse me, 5.01 uh, points of differential. So we we're able to shave about 10% uh, off of that margin, which I think is pretty good. And sort of the biggest area where it, it uh, showed an improvement. Were in games in which the spread was over 30 points. We pretty much were on the, uh, I believe we were actually on on the underdog all 18 times when a spread was 30 or more.
0: Okay.
1: Um, so when Alabama was 55, you know, projected to beat New Mexico State by 55 points, whatever, we were on New Mexico State, um, and and we did that every single time. And and I kind of. Uh, eventually, you know, after two weeks or three weeks, you kind of start to notice like, hey, something's wrong. We're on underdogs way too much. Um, so I, I, there was something that that needed a tweak there. So this extra play data actually helped us uh, sort of bridge that gap, helped us push the the uh, the top teams higher and push the bottom teams lower. So when we reran those games. Uh, first of all, we were four and fourteen against the spread in games where the the spread was thirty points or more. Um, but when we reran it, we were nine and nine. And it's a very small sample, obviously. So you know, it's not. I can't not say many
0: thirty point spreads,
1: right? And, and we're only four weeks in, so so right. it's it's difficult to say like ah, you know, figured it out because we we do we're all we're working with a very small amount here. Um, but you know, and we've only done this for. Uh, basically one year and four weeks now. So I uh, don't have a, a whole lot of my own data to really run all these uh, examples through. But I, I was, I, I do think that it helped. And, and it helped uh, push that difference between the the spread down 10% for those first four weeks, and then running the numbers uh, this week, using instead of uh, 2018 data, which is what I did for the the first four weeks, using this year's uh, net yards per play and and folding that in in that extra layer. um, We've actually, for this week as of this morning, the difference in the point spreads uh, were under four points, so 3.98 points, which to me is a a really good sign. Um, We've boosted the number of favorites that we're on uh, to 60.4% this week, so that's, you know, 13% change. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, obviously we don't know <laughs> what what will happen if more favorites will cover this week, but uh, the fact that we push things a little bit more toward the norm in my eyes is a, is a good thing. So, um, we've we've made a couple of tweaks so far. Uh, we think we're getting a little bit closer. So, um, again, though we're not necessarily saying like, hey, go bet with this. We're really kind of using this as a as a test of do do I know what I'm doing? Do the numbers make sense? Is this a valuable thing to do? If you are so inclined, because we do refer to you know to spreads and and what percentage is on the uh, uh, on the spread on the money line, whatever, um, uh, you know, people can do that with that information. What well, we will, but really, what we're doing is is trying to test out our methods and and sort of how that's going. And so far, as a whole, this year. Uh, was was slightly disappointing. And Saturday, uh, we actually started, uh, or I, uh, the numbers started 0 and 10, which uh, put me in a, a pretty foul mood most of the most of the day. It was which like is two for I was, the money.
0: I, I was. Uh, <laughs> it yeah. was it was rough. Matthew uh, McConaughey over here was very upset with his numbers, and <laughs> I I had to Al Pacino him back into. Uh, <laughs> I had to cheer him up. We were watching because the numbers had picked UCLA. In that game uh, against the spread. At That's least. right. And they, That's they right. end up winning straight up. And I'm, you know, he's over there doing jumping jacks and I'm, you know, seeing how much weight this fan can hold. In my living room here. So I, I was, you know, it, it I needed
1: every little win after that point. Uh, but uh, it, it was good to see that we went on a 21 and 16 run the rest of the day. But uh, having not won a game technically through the entire noon window, <laughs> was uh was a a bit of a rough start but
0: well look I mean any numbers that have been put together I mean you know I always think it's funny when I look at Phil 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 Steele's stuff and he's, he's probably one of the best handicappers that we've ever seen in our life but he he does trends that go back 20 years and I'm like what the hell does Tennessee beating Kentucky in 1989 have anything to do with you know, uh, 2019. It's things like that. And I'm just, you know, I'm not saying that he did that. I haven't looked in a long time. I'm just saying, you know, things that go back 20, 30 years as far as trends are just different. So I still would, you know, I still would roll with the stuff that is based on the roster that is put in front of you. So uh, that's just my opinion. So, uh, you know, it's a fluid moving situation, though, right, Nick?
1: Yeah. And and so that's that's sort of the thought process. We do want to base things on the current roster. There is uh, value in in backdating. But yeah, you're right. I mean, saying that, what was it last year, Kentucky beat Florida for the first time in 28 years or something? Well, those last 28 times had nothing to do with, right, you know, the the game leading up,
0: maybe Uh, some mental edge or something like you you can say that, but I don't, you know, (laughs) Yeah, and I yeah, don't I, even really subscribe. Anything to that. that's five years old, it goes in the trash to me because yeah. you have literally none of the same players. So it right. goes in well, the and I'm, and I'm done. With I'm this. kind of I, I so I do have a
1: coaching background. That's kind of why the, the self-scouting thing comes in. I do try to pay attention a lot of, you know, hey, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? And, and the quarter mark of the, the season is a good opportunity to do that. Um, but uh, I sort of lost my train of thought there. Um,
0: no, I, I, I'd kind of thrown out to you that I, I threw away anything older than five years.
1: Right. Okay. So, so my coaching background, uh, when we would look at, you know, we're preparing for the upcoming opponent, you obviously, uh, look at all their previous games from this year that you can get your whole, your hands on, you know, the, at least the last four. And then you look at the game if you played them last year. So I do think there is some value, uh, specifically in how a team plays, A particular team from one year to the next because you can learn certain things and you know specifically that that coaching staff is looking at last year's game um but yeah i think i absolutely agree that you know five years before even three years before most of the time two years before doesn't in my opinion doesn't really matter so we don't build our our uh data sets, our models to reflect that much history uh, other than our head coach ratings, which we do wait uh, for for recency. so the the most recent years weigh much, much heavier. but uh, but anyway, so um, a lot of sort of gory talk there, but but wanted to let listeners know and and patrons know that uh, we're looking at these sort of things, seeing where our numbers struggle, where uh, we can look to make improvements. and hopefully we have, uh, made some improvements moving forward, and and it is worth noting that um, this time last year we did also start slow. And probably one of the advantages that we have, we do stay up so so uh, up to date as much as we possibly can on injuries, um, and we do add production points to our player ratings based on performance. So uh, certain players like an Anthony Gordon who threw nine touchdown passes and 500 yards, and you know he's already racked up eight production points so he's quickly uh reaching the level that he he probably should be um in real life compared to his uh recruiting rating so i think our model does a good job of of uh making improvements for things like that and and so over the course of the year we do expect to improve just naturally but i think adding this layer of play data um will really help and, and i i i am Happy to see that it got us tighter to uh, the Las Vegas point spreads and, and um, the running it back over the, the first four weeks seem to have some positive results as well. So anyway, just for, for people who are interested in sort of where we're coming up with this stuff and, and what it all means, uh, sort of what we're thinking about as we're doing it, just a little insight to to my mind. So um, that, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll uh, continue Uh, to improve our our ratings, and and hopefully we'll move on from an 0-10 start last week.
0: I mean, look, I don't know why you're using anything. Just ask me, all right? I'm I'm doing uh, Arizona State beating Michigan State. And then losing to Colorado, I clearly have all the answers. So uh, I don't know why we're using anything. But yeah, I mean, look. I is... mean, we
2: should just pick against Tennessee every week. And then we'd be <laughs> at a, uh, then
1: we'd be solid. I mean, <laughs> see, that's why you guys are here. Because yeah. then you know, I I I get bogged down in the numbers. I, I uh, spend the last forty eight hours with my yellow legal pad and my pen and and you know crunching things and and uh, and and it's nice to know that I can look up from time to time and and spend. Uh, Uh, you know, an hour or so each week with you guys that see things so much more clearly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just don't (laughs) even look at anything. What injury report? It doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah. Arizona, Arizona state's definitely going to lose when they get back home in two weeks. So, I mean, you know, just come on. I mean, it's clear we know these things, but yeah, I, I'm, uh, uh, I, I, I like that, uh, you know, and look, if it doesn't work, you fix it, you know, and that's what's going on here. So uh, I, I like that, uh, you know, you're uh, forthright in what has been happening and how we're making adjustments to improve it. And it's going to get better. And and the same if th- this is how it started last year and the numbers you ended with last year, I'm sticking with it. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely on board with CFB winning edge. But let's let's keep moving here to week five and the games that we picked out in this first one uh Penn State is on the road at Maryland uh Penn State is a six and a half point favorite kind of a high over here at 61 and a half uh Maryland has kind of been all over the board scoring high scoring low same thing with Penn State um held to 17 points against Pitt Pitt's got a pretty good defense here Nick what are we thinking on this Penn State Maryland game so
1: Maryland has been one of the more difficult teams, probably for any, anybody, to handicap so far this year. I mean, we didn't know what to think in week one. They beat Howard 79 to nothing. So, uh, you know, that, that could be the sign of great things to come it could be just a fluke against a a, you know pretty lowly rated fcs team so didn't know what to make of that but then the next week they just smashed syracuse who was ranked in the top 20 at the time and had been you know uh, just just everybody's darling it seemed in the the acc is kind of that challenger to clemson so then we're like all right maryland's good obviously you know, they beat them 63 to, to 20 or whatever. Um, but then <laughs> the following week, uh, Maryland uh, seemed to have Texas's number a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. Well, Temple's, Temple's got Maryland's number. Temple's beaten Maryland back-to-back years now in week three. And uh, so now we're kind of back in that that situation. And and the most impressive win that they had over Syracuse, you know, Syracuse has not looked that great. They bounced back a little bit last week. but uh, So we're still kind of in that, who is Maryland? What what are they? Are they uh, the team that, that looked so good in week one or week two? Or are they te- the team that couldn't get a yard on fourth and one in the red zone two or three or four times or however many was against Temple? So there's a lot of unknowns there. They're a talented team. They can run the football. Um, they have lost a little depth at the running back position. Uh, lost a, a backup to a torn ACL uh, this week, which of course is unfortunate. Um, but they've got some explosive players, and and you know Anthony McFarland's one of the better running backs in the uh, in the Big Ten, uh, in my opinion. And we've seen some good things from Josh Jackson at quarterback, the transfer. So I think Maryland can. Um, do I, I think they'll be able to move the football? I mean, Mike Loxley seems to be uh, seems to have the offense kind of moving at a, a, a really good uh, pace, and and they they seem to to be able, even though it struggled against Temple, they were in position to score a lot. They just didn't co- uh, capitalize on those opportunities. And you you like to think that that will even out. They'll be able to capitalize if they get the opportunities, you know, next week and and throughout the the rest of the regular season. Penn State is kind of in a similar boat because they're starting a new quarterback. Uh, Sean Clifford hasn't really been tested against a, a top quality opponent though maybe now that Pitt beat UCF maybe you know maybe they qualify I don't know. But they also limited Penn State to 17 points. So they've got some issues at running back. Um they thought uh that uh, uh Ricky Slade was going to be, you know, a former five-star guy. I thought he was going to be the the next great Penn state running back. He's been pushed by journey Brown and, and a newcomer uh, also highly rated Noah Kane. So uh, I'm not sure exactly who's going to get the football, but they've got some playmakers at receiver KJ Hamler is, is definitely explosive. And then defensively, they've got, you know, a a couple of the the best players maybe in America at, uh, gross Moss at at defensive end. And, And then of course, Micah, uh, Parsons at linebacker are just incredibly fun to watch both of them so uh, I think Penn State has an edge defensively I think they're going to be able to keep Maryland somewhat in check uh, they should win this game our numbers see this almost right on uh, the line with with uh, the the Vegas uh, odds makers and it's interesting that the note here this line opened at eight and is currently six and a half will we project Penn State to win 31 24 so depending on you know this is either going to yeah. be a win for us on the opener or it's going to be a win for us on the official so uh if if you're you know actually putting your your hard-earned dollars on this it does matter when uh you do it so uh anyway we we project penn state to win by about a touchdown and, and that seems right to me uh maryland will be tough they'll keep it close but uh the nittany lions player for player the more talented team should win
0: what do you think of this one xavier
2: um, I chose this game because I think Maryland walks away with this upset. So I'm going to lead Ooh. off with that. I, I, I don't... Money line
0: is 88% and uh, money line pays more. So most of the time it's going to be on yeah. the, the, um, the underdog, but 88% is a big number.
2: Well, I, I think you're seeing that because I feel that people don't know what Penn state has to offer for yet. I think in that pit game, they won it maybe due to Pitt's own lack of coaching in the in in the clutch at that game. I think if you watch that game all the way through, Pitt had a lot, lot of drives that went onto their side of the field but just couldn't finish, um, whether due to penalties or a turnover or, you know, negative play, Pitt was still able to move the ball fairly well. And um, although Penn State was able to you know escape with a win, I think they're there's due in for a game that, you know, they don't turn up for. Um, and I think that this is this one. Um, I know they've had, what, a bye week to prepare for this game. And, you know, they're going to come in ready. They're not going to overlook them because they only have Purdue coming up in the next week. And so it's not a ranked opponent coming up. So, you know, there's no fear of that. But Maryland at home has been very good. Um, you know, last year they beat Texas at home. They almost beat Ohio State at home last year as well. Uh, obviously, we see this year that they've been able to beat Syracuse at home, and and that that for them is what's pushing, giving me the edge to Maryland, uh, their home field advantage, and the and the lack of experience at the quarterback position for Penn State. When I look at Maryland, I look at Josh Jackson, I look at somebody who has, you know, won, won big games and lost big games, and I think that he's going to come. I think that offense is going to be clicking um, relatively on all cylinders. Um, I think Penn State's defense is going to do as much as they can, but more so than anything, I'm putting all of the weight on. Penn State's offense, and I don't know if they're going to be able to hold up um, or possibly be in a shootout with Maryland, which I don't think it'll be, but if it gets to that point, I don't think Penn State can win a shootout. Uh, I don't think that they have uh, the quarterback play to to, to, to go toe-to-toe with the Maryland, uh, and I'm not saying Maryland's going to win in a blowout here, but I do think home field advantage um, is Penn State's QB's first real road test, um, and, I'm, and I, I think Penn State falls flat in this game, and uh, Maryland walks away with an upset victory, so.
0: Here's what I'll say about this game. I uh, wouldn't touch, I wouldn't put a red scent on this <laughs> game. There's just, I don't know what the hell Maryland is. They're bipolar, they're up, they're down, they're black, they're white. I don't know what they are. So, Penn State can can beat anybody. That's why they're favored in this game. Like Nick said, they're, uh, you know, they're more talented than Maryland as far as uh, the roster construction is. But Franklin, like you, he could screw something up at the end of the game and uh, Maryland could go. So if it's a close game and Penn State's involved, I don't want any part of it. Um, the over under is tough, too, because it's 61 and a half. I think I would probably go the under there because Penn State plays it tight. But I can tell you, I wouldn't put... I mean, even Nick, you said we got this as a seven-point game and it opened at eight. So it depends on when you bet this game as far as where you're going to go. I think it just needs to be more clear. So I don't want to screw with this game. Uh, I would leave it alone, but if I had to pick one, I'd pick <laughs> Maryland at home, uh, and I don't want any part of that. So, uh, well, no I mean, it,
1: you bring up a good point. I mean, our our numbers we're we're looking for an edge. I mean, that that's in our name. That that's sort of kind of where we we're looking for something that is. Uh, unique that we're seeing that maybe no one else is. Well, this game is an example where our numbers, specifically, you know, whether we calculate them a different way or or you know, however it goes, sees basically the same thing as odds makers in the market. So we don't see an edge. but but Xavier has a feeling. He thinks Maryland is going to win this game. and and, you know, he he lays out his reasons why. And some of them are based in, uh the eye test. Some of them are based in stats, some of them are based in history. Everybody, you know, looks at things a different way and, and has different feelings. Just cause our numbers don't uh see it doesn't mean there's not an edge out there somewhere. But I think that's sort of the value that that hopefully that that the three of us are, are bringing is sort of different perspectives on these. So, you know, hey Xavier maybe he's got a maybe he's got a read on it and and he's gonna uh uh Show us where where maybe we should have seen something. Who knows?
0: Yeah, I, I can also say this: I'm not picking against Maryland ever again. So uh, <laughs> learned your saw, lesson, huh? <laughs> saw them stomp Texas two years in a row. No thanks. Uh, Iowa State at Baylor th- or Baylor at Iowa State. Excuse me. This one is a very very um good game to watch. I think because we just saw Iowa State put up. Their most points since 1906. They scored 72 points last week. Uh, They seem to be clicking on all cylinders. So they are favored uh, by three points uh, on the road. But this game began with Baylor being a a three-and-a-half point favorite. So I think what everyone is seeing, Nick, is they see the money coming in on uh, Iowa State. It's too much money. So they go, all right, well we can we can make this we can make this move so let's just give iowa state and, and uh you know make the people that are betting iowa state give points and people are still doing it 76 percent of the spread money is on iowa state uh i think i like baylor in this one though i think the offense um should be able to be a little bit better at home and i think that iowa state is a little bit overrated after putting up you know that many points of brock party scoring six touchdowns so Am I right or wrong here, Nick? You let me know. <laughs>
1: well, I, I I will never tell you that you're right or wrong ahead of time, but I will tell you uh, that your your instinct lines up with our numbers. So uh, we actually favor Baylor. We we have uh, we have Baylor as a uh, little more than a one point favorite in this game, which it's it's good to see that you know, Vegas put Baylor as the favorite starting out. Now, uh, obviously, um, they, they felt that they needed to move the number based on uh, what they've learned throughout the week and, and you know, the, the amount of money and, and all of that. I, I won't pretend to be an expert on, on all of that. But um, one thing that is, I think, worth uh, noting, uh, people might just be looking at last week And saw that, as you mentioned, Iowa State put up 70-plus, and Brock Purdy looked incredible, and Tyreek Milton looked incredible again, and, and, you know, the defense is still uh, good. They they, uh, limited ULM to 20 points, which is about 24 uh, fewer than Florida State did, so, you know, whatever that's worth, but uh, (laughs) Baylor... Uh, struggled a little bit with rice didn't really put them away one what was it Twenty-one thirteen. Uh, Twenty-one thirteen. yeah so so on the surface you think okay well rice is terrible they're 0 and 4 they haven't scored uh, you know 20 points in a game all year or whatever it is and and uh baylor barely beat them and iowa state they're unstoppable. They score seventy six points. well, we we do something uh, called team performance Ratings, where we go in, as, as I mentioned during my long diatribe earlier, uh, where we take certain stats from from the games and and sort of put them in you know different weights and and it sort of spits out a game grade for every uh, team. Well, Baylor actually graded out much better probably than, than anyone would have expected. They they were pretty dominant in, in multiple facets of the game against Rice. It just didn't always uh, show up on the scoreboard. I mean, they, they posted, uh, not in a spectacular number, but they posted a top 30 game grade uh, for the, the week, which, when you consider Rice was ranked 129th in our ratings, and we do weight the strength of the opponent, um, and, and you... Also look at the fact that it was a one score game that means they really had to dominate some of the the metrics that we uh, look at closely when we're when we're grading team performance so uh, Baylor was a little better than they looked. Iowa State was dominant, but they put up a uh, looks like the twelfth best game grade last week so obviously that's pretty dominant, but you might expect a higher ranking for somebody that scored seventy plus points so you know that maybe they weren't quite as as great as we thought so Long story short, uh, our numbers favor Baylor slightly. These seem to be very evenly matched teams. I think Baylor has a slight talent advantage. Iowa State might have a slight coaching advantage, um, but I, I will go with the Bears here. Our numbers uh, have it at twenty-eight, twenty-seven. Xavier,
0: what do you think um, about this matchup here?
2: See, before Nick went on that 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 uh, spew that he just went on. <laughs> I had Iowa State winning this ballgame because uh, I watched the Baylor-Rights game. Don't ask why. But, you know, I, I went ahead and-, and partook in that game. And from what I saw was a, a Baylor team that may have been looking forward to the Iowa State game a little bit too much. Um, but overall, didn't look impressive enough for me to select them to win this ballgame. I think I'm going to stick with my guns and-, and keep Iowa State as the uh, <clears throat> as the winner of this game and and get the upset, I guess we call it. Uh, since they are the away team, I call it an upset. Um, but the reason the, – what pushes me over for this game is I, I, is I think we're seeing Brock Purdy kind of – in that game, he came into his own a little bit. Um, I know he struggled in the Iowa game, and he somewhat struggled in the Northern Iowa game. But I think against ULM, he, he was able to build that confidence again. And I think that that's the kind of confidence – he's going to need uh, to to upset this Baylor team and, and the kind of play they're not going to necessarily expect. But something around that range for them to upset Baylor. When I look at Baylor, their team, I, you know, going into this week, I knew little about, um, you know, Charlie Brewer being the quarterback. 16 games started, haven't always been impressive. Um, we know Baylor is 3-0 going into this game, but who have they played as of yet that I can really hang my hat on that tells me that Baylor is just, you know, not maybe far and away, but that gives them this edge going into this game. Uh, I think this is Baylor's first big game of the year, and I don't know if they're ready yet to perform against an Iowa State team who's already been battle-tested, losing to Iowa, even in the delay of the game. You know, they've had what might be, you know, their biggest game of the year as far as, you know, against a rival team, you know, this early on. And I think that that gives me more confidence in Iowa State to win this game, more battle-tested, coming off of a huge win with uh, the offense clicked in pretty much anything that they did. Um, and a Baylor team that's coming off of a game that was a little shaky towards the end, um, at least from the box score. If you're just a box score watcher, it looks like Baylor played poorly. Uh, as Nick told you guys, you know, that that, that wasn't necessarily the case. But in the confidence, in my confidence, I have Iowa State winning this ball game and going to three and one.
0: All right, moving on here, we got Wake Forest at Boston College. Uh, the spread on this game is Wake Forest by six and a half. The over under is seventy one points. Which yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> is way too much in my opinion i mean wake Forest offense is good boston college can uh, put up points against a soft defense i don't know the wake Forest defense is the best but i don't know if this is going to get to 71 nick uh how do we see this playing out
1: well so i understand your inclination and and you know we think of uh, really both of these teams in, in the not-too-distant past were very methodical, just, you know, grind-it-out type teams and, and uh, played to, to some pretty low uh, totals uh, in in the recent past. But... These two teams have changed. Wake Forest is now one of the uh, fastest teams in terms of their offensive pace. So they are uh, playing at a, at a really high tempo. They're getting a lot of plays, snapping the ball quickly. They've got some explosive playmakers. I mean, uh, the the why did his name just uh, <laughs> escape me? Who's the quarterback? Newton, Jamie Newton. Jamie uh, Newton has Newman. Sorry, mm-hmm. has has looked. Incredible uh, this year. They do a really interesting thing on in the zone read, where they they ride the mesh point for what seems like two or three seconds, which is an eternity on a football field. And and for whatever reason, that's paying off for them, and, and they're they're able to read the, the the defense longer and and make a uh, you know more profitable decision uh because of it and and it's it's worked well even though their top ball carrier kade carney has been banged up most of the year they've got other backs uh redshirt freshmen and, and other backups that have have stepped up their receiving core looks great sage charade has been explosive uh washington is is big and athletic um and they're they're able to get their uh kendall hinton former backup quarterback um, who who's done some good things for him in the slot uh, was banged up last week and didn't play but he's apparently back now this week and listed as a starter again so uh, Wake Forest offensively is very very good and and they've got some, some decent defensive players as well I think there you know there's a case to be made that Wake Forest is the Toughest team now on Clemson's remaining schedule. Maybe we should be looking at Wake Forest as the last best chance to upset Clemson if somebody's going to do it in the ACC. But uh, on the flip side, Boston College has shown some life on offense. We know about AJ Dillon. Uh, you know, 250 pounds. He's he's basically guaranteed 100 yards and a touchdown every game, and and sometimes he can go for twice that. So uh, he's he's somebody that that is just a bell cow. Uh, for Boston College, he's a known quantity and, and he's consistent as long as he's healthy. But they've got a couple of uh, playmakers on offense that that have you know we didn't expect. One, Anthony Brown, the quarterback, has has uh, shown significant improvement in my opinion. Uh, I know that uh, you know he he's had some struggles in the past, but he made uh, t- 22 starts in his first. Two years on campus, he's a junior now. Um, he, he knows the offense. You know, even though they brought a new offense coordinator this year, but he, he knows what his head coach wants to accomplish. Um, he is experienced. He, he, most of his playmakers, uh, Dylan and, and you know Kobe White, the receiver, Ben Glines, who does uh, some some does run and also helps out as a receiver David Bailey backup running back is is they try to get him the ball a lot and then Zay Flowers true freshman is is one of the most exciting freshmen probably in the ACC Ooh,
0: sorry uh <laughs> he's so <laughs> hit, passionate hit my microphone about this. Stand. he is yes he's,
1: he's uh uh he, he got me excited made me hit my microphone stand but uh so anyway Boston College this isn't the same old uh just you know uh try to get uh, three yards and a, and a cloud of dust type type offense. but on the other hand, defensively, this is not the same old Boston college and and obviously BC doesn't always do a great job recruiting as far as our you know the the recruiting rankings go, so they're not they're not going to score very high on those things most of the time. but it's worth noting that they rank uh, last in the ACC in our uh, team stri- or our roster strength numbers defensively they're 94th in the country 14th in the acc their secondary is also last in the acc and 112th in the country so that makes me think that wake forest is going to be able to move the ball early and often uh this game could become a shootout i do like wake forest defense a little bit better they've got a a linebacker uh i'm probably going to mispronounce that and then uh, corner who's who's all ACC caliber saying Basie. So, um, I like Wake Forest. We don't see a, a huge edge now that the 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 uh, line has moved up to six and a half. But we do have Wake Forest as about a seven and a half point favorite. Project the final score to be thirty-eight
0: uh, thirty. What do you think of this one, Xavier?
2: I like Wake Forest as well um, from the eye test and, and from what I've seen from Anthony Brown. So I'll start with um, Boston College first. What I've seen from Anthony Brown this year is I've seen somewhat of a game manager. Um I think that he's been better. Obviously, the stats suggest, you know, 792 yards passing, six touchdowns, zero interceptions. You know, if you can have zero interceptions all year, that's, you know, a recipe for winning. However, when you dig deeper into the stats, you see he's only thrown the ball 101 times uh, with about a 50% completion rate, which isn't bad. Um, you know, but as you can see, they're not necessarily giving him that many opportunities to throw the football uh, in the first four games. Uh, That would average out to maybe 25 attempts in the first four games. Um, And I don't think that that's going to be enough against a Wake Forest team that knows exactly what Boston College is going to want to do coming into this game. I mean, it is one thing to know you have to stop A.J. Dillon and to actually then do it. um, But we've seen, you know, team uh, Kansas be able to, you know, slow him down and then obviously on offense – uh, Kansas was able to run away from Boston College, and and that's my biggest issue here. Is I think that Wake Forest will have the ability to run away and to possibly make this just shootout. And I don't see Boston College's offense currently being able to to win a shootout. Um, we look at uh, Jamie Newman. Wake Forest has looked very impressive so far. Um, I watched the game versus UNC, and you know, barring that fourth quarter where it looked like UNC was about to you know make another you know gasp of air and and survive again they they dominated that ball game against a US a UNC team that had looked up until that point you know very at least good enough to win that ball game um i think Wake Forest like you said earlier has the better offense and i think that their defense is just just good enough um and just better than Boston College in my opinion uh that that I have to give them the edge in this game. Uh, so, yeah, I think Wake Forest wins, wins this ballgame. Um, I think the seven points is, is, is right about where it should be. I don't think that either team is light years ahead of the other one as far as, you know, you know talent or ability is concerned. Uh, but I do think Wake Forest is the, has been the better team going into this game and will be the better team on Saturday.
0: I got Wake Forest by double digits. Uh, I just think, I, I think that they're better than Boston College. If Boston College had a hard time keeping pace with Kansas when they got rolling – if Jamie Newman and Wake Forest get rolling, they're gonna get rolling hard. So I'm that game I think is, is a Wake Forest win kind of easy. This one I couldn't figure out, so I wanted to ask you guys about it. Cincinnati on the road at Marshall. Uh Cincinnati uh favored in this game by two and a half points. The line is three and a half now. It opened at two and a half. Over low, super low, forty seven. Uh, for a college game so Cincinnati at Marshall Nick I feel like this is really good offense versus really good defense Uh, is that how we see it playing out
1: so it's interesting and and I'll go quickly with this one uh, or or try my best to Uh, (laughs) so in the preseason it was really really high on Marshall's defense they ranked first in Conference USA at all three levels the best uh, Group of Five rated defense in the country uh, among Group of Five teams. So I was really, really high on Marshall, expected big things out of them. But they have suffered a couple of key injuries, including one to uh, starting middle linebacker uh, Jaquan Yuli, which is, has just sort of really uh, helped crater that rating. Their linebacking core was a top 30 unit, and, and like I said, first in Conference USA at the beginning of the season. Right now it ranks 106th and 9th in conference so uh they've also had some position switches uh that have sort of messed a little bit with our numbers so uh long story short this was a top uh 30 defensive unit and and the best group of five unit in the country according to our numbers of the preseason it now ranks 71st in the country and fifth in the league uh, uh as far as our total roster strength numbers go so that that makes me a little bit worried um on the other hand, Cincinnati has dealt with a lot of injuries on offense. Their running back position, particularly, has been pretty banged up. Uh, I know Michael Warren's been been good most of the year, but his his uh, uh, the guys a little farther on the depth chart have been in and out of the the injury report all season. And they do like to spread the ball around a little bit on offense. So, and and we also saw Desmond Ritter get banged up once earlier this year. So, uh, on that note, those guys for the most part seem to be. Uh, close to full strength at least most of them and I, I saw that they were uh, expected to get uh, two pretty key contributors back this uh, this week who missed their last game so uh, Cincinnati our numbers didn't love in the preseason but the numbers have have stayed pretty steady see uh, the Bearcats as a top three AAC team and, and a fringe top 50 team overall so that is is a good bit better than Marshall who I said has, has fallen down. They now rank 72nd overall. Um, our numbers don't love, uh, you know, don't see a, a huge disparity here, uh, between, uh, what we see in the, the number as a whole, we project Cincinnati to win 27, 24. So once again, we picked one that we're either going to win <laughs> the opening number or, uh, <laughs> we're, we're going to win the, the final number probably. So, uh, you know we don't see a huge edge on this game, but just me uh, and, and our numbers don't really. Uh, we don't test all this stuff against the total, but because Marshall's defense is so banged up, and because we saw them perform so well against Boise State a couple of weeks ago, I think if I were to lean on anything, it might be towards the over here uh, because I do think Cincinnati is healthier now on offense, and Marshall is is not. Uh, we saw Marshall in Ohio play a pretty high scoring game uh last week so our our number we, we project 51 total points which is you know about four points uh, over the the uh Vegas uh over under so that might be where I see some value if I were to to make a, a guess uh here uh, but as far as our team strength numbers go we see it about the same 2724.
0: Uh, Xavier what do you think of this game I put it on here because I didn't know what to expect so I like that explanation from Nick
1: yeah, it same.
2: was quick, wasn't it? <laughs> it you know, <laughs> sun dial <sundial> quick. But <laughs> um, but um, when it comes to this game, same thing for you, Scott. I didn't really know much about this game going into it. Um, but when you look at the fact that Cincinnati's defense, I believe, is just you know is healthier. <laughs> um, I think that Cincinnati walks away with this with this win. I think Desmond Ritter. I actually really like his game in the few times that I have been able to watch. And I I mean, hey, Scott, you know, Cincinnati was able to hold the high fine UCLA offense to only 14 points. So, I mean, when you look at it that way, when you look at it that way, you have to go with the Bearcats here.
0: Yeah, I guess. Uh, I mean, I... <laughs> Like I said, I don't know. That's why I I picked this game, because it's interesting. And it's funny that you mentioned that team, because we'll get to them in a second. But before that, Virginia is at Notre Dame. Notre Dame, 12.5-point favorites here, Nick. Uh, The the money line coming in on Virginia pretty hard. Uh, The over getting played a a lot here. It is uh, 48.5. It's actually gone down from where it opened. So I, I don't know. The way Virginia's been playing, the way Notre Dame has been playing, this line looks about right to me. So what do you think?
1: So we see a, a little bit of a, an edge here, finally. Uh, we, as we've mentioned several times before, have not been particularly high on Virginia. That made me really nervous uh, the first three weeks, but last week, seeing how Virginia scro- struggled against Old Dominion made me think, okay, maybe maybe we're not too far off here, Um Virginia has climbed significantly in our numbers. They're now uh, in, the, in the 30s overall, which, uh, you know, obviously is lower than they are in the AP poll, but uh, that's a significant jump from where they started, so I, I think that's probably about right. Uh, we talked a good bit about Notre Dame earlier uh, in their game against Georgia. Two problems that, that jump out for me with Notre Dame so far this year, uh, they really haven't been able to run the football that well, and they're not getting much of a pass rush. Uh, the, the running the football might be an issue uh, because Virginia does have one of the best corners in the country. Uh, they do have a strong linebacking core. So their back seven is the strength of, of their team. Um, so uh, that that gives me a little bit of a pause. But uh, to be honest, Bryce Hall, the, the corner who, who's an All-American candidate, hasn't looked great this year uh for whatever reason some of the high profile corners um as far as the the 2020 NFL draft go have struggled uh, and defensive backs as a whole we didn't even mention grant Delpit earlier who looked pretty okay, brutal on yeah. a couple of tackle attempts against Vanderbilt but um yeah that but against anyway, it's Texas
0: but, too he whiffed on a couple Delpit days. yeah
1: he's I don't I don't know what's what's going on there but uh so uh, Notre Dame I think uh i know is is player for player the more talented team virginia has done a good job in the past Bronco mendehl has has done a good job in the past of uh you know, overcoming that with coaching. Uh, But I'm not quite sure that they'll be able to do that this week. They'll surely be motivated to come out uh, stronger than they did in the first half against Old Dominion, obviously. But I think Notre Dame's the better team. I think perhaps they'll be able to get the running game going because the defensive uh, front four is not elite for Virginia. There might be some holes there, uh, some opportunities. So uh, our numbers actually project a, a somewhat high-scoring game, uh, 35-20, to uh, Notre Dame
0: winning and covering. How do you see this Notre Dame-Virginia game playing out, Xavier? I think this
2: is Notre Dame in in, in a a game that's not going to be close. Um, I think what I took most away from both games, uh, Notre Dame-Georgia, I think Notre Dame looked like a top-ten team. They just couldn't get over the hump against a team that's probably the third-best team in the country. Um, When I watched Virginia versus Old Dominion, I watched – a fringe top 25 team. Um, my biggest issue with Virginia is that Bryce Perkins for about 60% of that game was running like a chicken with his head cut off. There was no resistance to whatever old dominion was doing up front. And that worries me against a team that, you know, got to front uh, and, and, and at times beat, which I think we have is the second best uh, offensive line in the country behind o- Oregon, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, when I look at the two trenches, I don't see how Virginia is going to muster an offense if they can't protect You know the, the biggest commodity on their ball club. I think Notre Dame has too much talent everywhere on the field. Um, and I think Notre Dame walks away with a
0: pretty impressive victory to get them right back on track.
2: And they're at home, which also helps after a loss like that to Georgia.
0: Now, this last game I picked because I'm annoyed. Uh, the the <laughs> damn UCLA Bruins. I, what are we doing? Like, uh, are they – they're – they're on the road against U of A. Six and a half point favorites. U of A is. I don't. I don't know how they would be favorites after how they've looked. And you know, you know, Xavier and I's love for Kevin Sumlin, of course. But they haven't looked good. This opened up at Arizona minus nine, but UCLA looks so good. Six and a half. Uh, the 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 over under is seventy one and a half. Nick. What is going to happen in this game? Please look into your crystal ball and tell me. <laughs> well, uh, if if the listeners haven't turned us
1: off already uh, based on how, how uh, I mentioned how poorly our numbers were earlier in the year and specifically last week, uh, let me tell you that Arizona is the 25th ranked team in the country, according to our power rankings, uh, which is probably higher than anyone in America would would put Arizona so uh if if you haven't turned us off already maybe you'll maybe you'll do that now but uh we like Arizona or we the the numbers the numbers like Arizona uh we're high on Khalil Tate he has looked more like himself early this season, which is good. Uh, Arizona is, is well-rested, uh, which is, is definitely good because J.J. Taylor, their top running back, was banged up in, in the previous game. Um, so hopefully he is back up to full speed. It seems that the receiving core is, is starting to come together a little bit. Um, the defense, of course, is is a bit of a concern, although uh, they held Texas Tech to 14 points. Uh, and we talked about that. that was one of our featured games a couple of weeks ago. We talked about how Arizona actually slowed down the pace and and controlled um, the the you know used the running game to sort of wear Texas Tech down. UCLA, they might be able to to accomplish a similar thing. UCLA, their linebacking core has taken a big hit. Uh, they've they've uh, also, you know, Darnay Holmes hasn't quite been a hundred percent all season. Who's who's one of the best corners in the country. Um, so there's opportunities for Arizona to capitalize with some big plays because of that, and and because UCLA, I mean, obviously they gave up sixty four points last week, so they're suscept- you know, susceptible to. Uh, high high scoring uh, offenses, but uh, we see Arizona as as a pretty clear favorite here. We've got uh, the Wildcats favored by almost two touchdowns. Our final score prediction at the moment is Arizona 41, UCLA 28. And part of that is because UCLA does get dinged a little bit for its first three games uh, when the offense was so poor. They are still operating in the negative on net, uh, net yards per play. Um, because of that, even though they did explode last week, we did see some signs of, of uh, you know what they could be but uh, not quite sure we're, we're ready to buy in just yet. We are pretty high on Arizona, um, you know, for whatever that's worth. Uh, we do see the U of A winning uh, by about two touchdowns.
0: Xavier, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna
2: I'm gonna shock you here. I'm gonna hop on the Kevin Sumlin train. Um, I'm gonna go with Arizona um yeah i think ucla's win was just a misnomer i don't 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 take it take it as a for a grain of salt you know I, I think that going into this game arizona has shown to be the better and more consistent team at least this season at times and i think that you know i think the only thing that i'm surprised about in this game is that the under is so low i think 70 points for the way that these defenses have both been playing this year is is, is far too low i think we should be looking more in the 80 range um, for this game, I think both teams can are both capable of putting up more than 40 points, and these defenses are more than capable of giving up 40 points. So I think that's the only shocker I'd have. Um, I, I'd bet the over, if I'm being honest. Uh, but Arizona is the better team, and I think that we shouldn't get too crazy about the win over a ranked Washington State team uh, that UCLA got last week.
0: And, and the whole reason I picked this game is because I don't know. I don't know if DTR <laughs> is uh, going to show up again. I don't know if uh, Arizona is much better than the team that lost to Hawaii week one. So because they, they look good in that game, they just couldn't capitalize on it uh, offensively, which is strange to say for U of A. But uh, I, that's why I picked this one is because I'm just not sure. And I know, you know, this is, first of all, this is the game that everybody wants to make up for, you know, the rest of their day with at the end of the night, you know, mm-hmm. this is one of those games. And it's also um, just a weird game, and I hate UCLA. So for that reason, <laughs> I'm going to take Arizona by multiple touchdowns as well. So. One
1: one quick point one one thing about UCLA if, if you're, you know if you're buying in to UCLA and saying all right we, we saw them beat a ranked team we saw the offense look really good, well they did score two point or two touchdowns on special teams, uh, and and special teams are obviously very important to uh, the outcome of a game, but it's very difficult to handicap special teams, especially at the collegiate level. So we we shouldn't really focus, you know, we shouldn't forget that, hey, they got two uh, kind of random scores, a 100-yard uh, kick return and a long punt return for a touchdown. They also... Uh, forced six turnovers, recovering four fumbles. Fumbles are about the the luckiest, you know, good luck and bad luck thing that you can have happen in a in a football game. So the turnover luck was way in UCLA's favor during that game. Plus, they scored on a 94 yard touchdown, which you know you look and you say, "Wow, UCLA is is so explosive on offense; they can score on a 94 yard touchdown." Well, 94, you know. Long explosive plays are also very random. they' They are not particularly predictive. So that's three strikes, in my opinion, against UCLA. Maybe people are buying in a little too much into things that are just not uh, not predictive, to be honest. So yes, they are better. Uh, but Arizona is is the more rested team. They're the home team, and UCLA really did benefit from some kind of wild uh, things. Uh, against washington state last week so i feel pretty confident uh i I like that our numbers are are heavy uh in you in arizona's favor you know i might look like a a huge idiot come saturday night but screw uh, ucla (laughs) but at this point
0: uh i like it i like i like (laughs) the wildcats Uh, I hope you're right. Well, that is going to be everything uh, from us this week. Remember, you can follow us all on the Twitter at Bogman Sports, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, at CFB Winning Edge. Nick, tell everybody about the Patreon.
1: Patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. All the, uh, you know, the long laundry list of things I went through earlier today, you can get access to all of that uh, through Patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. I suggest that uh, if, if you're interested in joining us, trying us out, join at Tier 2. Uh, our FBS team profiles, I believe, are, th- are the best collection of depth charts and injury reports out there. Um, we update those daily. Uh, that also includes our uh, team ratings, our coach ratings, our player ratings. Tons of information there. Uh, please do check us out at, at uh, patreon.com slash CFBWinningEdge and, and join us as a Tier 2 supporter if you'd like to uh You know, support this show, support the three of us. We really would appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. We will see you guys next week. Good luck in all your bets for week five, everybody.